Well, wasn't it awesome to see our student ministries and kids team right here in 16 Central? I have to tell you, when I came down yesterday for rehearsal, we, I saw them and it was like my heart leaped. It filled me with joy just to see our team gathering together in a little bit stronger numbers and to see them influencing here in the weekend service. And you just need to know, we have ton of ministry staff, obviously, and they're working behind the scenes. They haven't been on camera like this, but, but man, they've been engaging, and it's just fun to see them engage in the weekend, and so I want to thank them, and thank you, parents and kids, for staying engaged, even virtually, and for all of you here right now, experiencing Northridge digitally. Just remember that though we're sitting in different places, here I am in 16 Central at the Northridge Plymouth campus, you may be in an office or a den or a living room or a basement where maybe you're still in your bed in your PJs. I don't care where you are, but you're gathered here together in Jesus' name. And I, I'm so thrilled you are. We are continuing in this series out of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, the Philippians. And, and it's about my plans, no, scratch that, God's plans. It's about how by nature we tend to try and plan our own steps. And when we choose to follow them, we really make a mess of our lives. But God's plans are always right to file, no, follow, no matter how difficult, how contrary to our feelings. And so this weekend, I'm really excited because we're talking about, from his letter to the Philippians a couple of thousand years ago, a truth that is, it's like, could be on the front pages of our newspapers right now. It's dealing with the issues that we're struggling with right now. And it's called stand firm, which isn't easy to do, though it's pretty easy to say. I want to start it out with the words of Jesus because all of Paul's ministry was an extension of what Jesus taught. And the truth is our lives are supposed to be an extension of what Jesus taught. All of us are supposed to be conforming to his image. And one day, Jesus strolled up on some rolling hills right near the Sea of Galilee. I've had the privilege of taking people from Northridge there. And, and with a multitude of people following him, he sat down to teach them. And he, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, at the end of that famous sermon, these are the words Jesus said. Therefore, every one of you who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, didn't stop the storm. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. They were able to stand firm. But Jesus went on, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, even if you're hearing the words but you're not applying them and living them, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand with no foundation. The rain came down because it will. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. What Jesus made very clear in his teaching on those rolling hills was that whether you build your life on a foundation or not, whether you build your life on the rock, the solid rock of his truth and living it or not, you're going to face circumstances that come against you like a hurricane against a coastal community. I mean with hurricane force destructive winds. And so those of us who are believers have to realize we're going to experience the pressure of seemingly uncontrollable storms in our lives. And I mean, 
Really? We're living in a hurricane-type storm right now. It's like a perfect storm, all of these things coming at us and ripping at the fabric of our individual lives and ripping at the fabric of our, of our culture, even our nation. And yet Jesus also made clear in his teaching on that day that God has a goal for us, a purpose for us, even in the midst of a hurricane-type storm. His goal is that we remain standing, that, that we show the, the strength that comes with our relationship with God by standing firm. And I, I just want you to know, this is the truth that lies behind our conversation this weekend from Philippians chapter 4. The, the truth is, here in Michigan, I hope it is wherever you're at as well, the weather is just gorgeous. It's, I'm finding that that we're going from this pent-up, dark, and ominous situation of being quarantined in our homes to going, wow, we've got some freedom here. And I'm watching people start to disconnect a little bit from this hunger, this need for God. But here's the truth. Just because the weather's nice and we can start doing things outside doesn't mean we're not still facing a storm. We are, and we need to stand firm. Here's the truth. God has called his people. I mean, called us to stand firm. Let me get a little more personal. It's God's will that you stand firm. And this is how Paul starts the, the last chapter of his letter to the church at Philippi in chapter 4, verse 1 of Philippians. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you, you whom I love and long for, he's expressing my heart for you guys, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. And then he gives us this, this mission, this call of God. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Stand firm. And he started with the word therefore, which points back to chapter 3. And the last couple of weekends, we've been in chapter 3 of the book of Philippians, and it's I mean, it's just solid and filled up. If you didn't see them, we give them away for free on all of our sites. You can go to YouTube, our YouTube channel. You can go back to old Facebook Live videos, or you can go onto our site and look on demand. But I mean, chapter 3 is full of truth that can change our lives. And when he says, therefore, moving into chapter 4, he's, he's saying, therefore, because knowing Christ is the only worthwhile pursuit of life since Knowing Christ is, is everything in life. In fact, in comparison, everything else in life is without value. It's like garbage, he says. Therefore, you need to stand firm. Since, since Jesus is the only thing that ultimately matters in life, no matter what comes at you, no matter what's thrown at you, you need to stand firm or you're going to sink. You're going to miss everything. And the tendency is to get blown away in the storm, to, to sink in the sand, to, to get blown off course. But he says, no, since Jesus is everything, even in the storm, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what you right now are facing in your lives and relationships, stand firm. And this is a, a biblical truth that Jesus expressed that's a part of all of Scripture. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, he's not saying that the way to experience salvation is to stand firm to the end. He's saying 
that the outcome of the one that truly believes in me, that's standing on my truth, that's built their life on the foundation, will stand firm to the end. It's our calling. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And so this standing firm thing is, is vital, and yet I'm going to tell you it's not easy to stand firm. It's very difficult to stand firm when every wind of life is blowing against us. It's so easy to sink, to slip, to go backwards. And I bet some of you are experiencing that pressure, even in these circumstances we're in right now, and I know I'm experiencing the pressure. So let me give you the application to the truth and, and kind of walk you through what Paul says, and we're literally going to walk through these nine first verses of chapter four. He, if we're going to fulfill God's will, I mean, if we're really going to honor and please him and live the way he's designed us to live, and if we're going to, as a result, experience his best in our lives, the fullness of life and his promises, then, then we have to learn how to stand firm in the Lord. It's not natural to stand firm. It's natural to get blown off course, to go with the wind, to swim with the culture. We have to learn how to stand firm in the Lord, and Paul tells us how in this passage. What we find in these verses is that for the Christian, standing firm involves both protecting and preserving the kind of life that God created for us as believers to live in Jesus. And so let's kind of walk through it. And the first thing, if we're going to really stand firm in the Lord, then we have to stand firm by preserving our unity. And you're going to find some of these sound kind of weird, but I'll explain them and you'll see exactly what Paul's saying. If we're going to stand firm in the Lord, we have to stand firm by preserving our unity. Look at, he starts in verse 2 of chapter 4. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Sintiche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, we don't know who the true companion is, but I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. I mean, they've stood in ministry. They've, they've followed Christ. They've grown spiritually. But help them, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. I, it's, he's saying, Iodia and Sintichi, you've, you've got to preserve unity or you're not experiencing anything I've given you. You're not hearing my word and practicing it. You're building your life on sinking sand. You're getting blown by the winds of the world. You're following and conforming to the world, which is always living in disunity and brokenness and trench warfare with each other. But that's not how it's supposed to be in Jesus' name. So maybe I should ask the question, why is preserving our unity so important to standing firm in our faith in the Lord? Well, it's because it's the essential characteristic of the Christian life. Unity is. I've been a pastor for a very long time, and it's really sad how much disunity exists in Christianity, even in local churches, how many people are in constant conflict with one another instead of walking in harmony, and it's simply a sign that they're not standing firm in the Lord. You've got to realize that disunity is the essential characteristic of those who don't know Jesus of the world. It makes sense that the world is falling apart and constant war and conflict and disunity and always attacking and stepping on people and dismissing other people. It makes sense because they don't have the redemption of Jesus, but it doesn't make sense when Christians live that way. 
I mean, all you have to do is look back at the beginning in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve were made for unity and intimacy and oneness. But when they walked away from God, when they were no longer standing in him, they had no unity at all. They had no intimacy at all. They had no oneness at all. They, they hid behind different bushes and they pointed their fingers at each other and blamed each other for the problem. And they lost everything that God wanted for them. And that's what humanity's lost. It explains a lot that's going on in our world right now. But when you find Jesus, you don't live like the world. Jesus came to reconcile us to himself and thus to one another. We no longer have to stand condemning each other and blaming each other. We can stand with each other no matter what the storm. That's why Jesus said the greatest command is to love God, but not just to love God, but then to love others as ourselves. You see, unity is the difference between humanity's nature of self-seeking and Jesus' nature of self-sacrificing and service. So if we're going to stand firm in the Lord, we have to stand firm in unity. We have to value it and fight for it. If we're going to really stand firm and experience God's best in our life, then we need to stand firm by preserving something that's so easy to lose in the storm, by preserving our joy. Because as the angels sang when Jesus was born, the Messiah coming was joy to the world. Joy. And if we don't have joy, then we're not experiencing the fullness of Jesus in our life. And, and it wasn't joy based on circumstances. It wasn't joy based upon all good days. It was joy based upon the fact that Jesus was alive in you. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord sometimes. I'll say it again. If things are bad, don't rejoice. That's not what it says. That's how we live. That's our nature. And remember, it wasn't easy for Paul to say he wasn't living in some palace somewhere in sunshine with servants putting grapes in his mouth. This guy had been betrayed and beaten and treated unjustly. And when he's writing this letter, he's unjustly in prison being kept from everything he wanted to do for God and in life. He was rotting away in prison. And what did he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Of course, the key to find joy is by looking in the right places. And that's the problem. Many of us, me included, we have a hard time experiencing joy when things go wrong, when things go badly, when we're experiencing injustice, when we're filled with uncertainties like the season we're in right now here. And, and it means we're looking for joy in all the wrong places. We have to find joy in the right places. And that's what Paul tells us in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord. If you know Jesus, then you know joy. And if you're not knowing joy, it's because you're looking to other things for your joy instead of Jesus because Jesus didn't go anywhere. In this passage in verse 1, he also gives us another right place to look in God's people because he, he called God's people my joy and my crown, even though they weren't perfect. We've already talked about Iodia and Sintiche, you know. It's like they, they weren't walking in unity, but he goes, you are my joy and my crown. When when we see people who know Jesus and long for Jesus and hunger for Jesus and are gathering together in Jesus' name, it brings us joy. And 
I know there are a lot of things you can look at and experience that can rob you of joy, but here we are, still gathered in Jesus' name. It should give us joy. Are you looking to the right places for joy, or are you letting all the wrong things steal it from you? Stand firm in the Lord, Paul says. If we're going to stand firm and experience God's best, then we need to understand it demands preserving our gentleness. We stand firm by preserving our gentleness. And I know that that just doesn't make much sense to us intuitively. But it's true. Let me explain it. Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. This doesn't feel right. It doesn't even make sense to us because we have this problem. We have a tendency as human beings when going through the hurricanes of life, the rough patches of life, the, the times of betrayal and injustice in our life, the, the natural tendency for us is to become the opposite of gentle and kind, to become angry and harsh and heartless and mean-spirited, filled with rage and expressing it. That's, that's our nature. And this explains why our world's like it is today. I mean, just people have been pent up and quarantined inside, and then injustice is put on, on huge display, and I mean, we just go crazy. It's human nature for everyone who doesn't know Jesus, but it shouldn't be the nature of those who have Jesus in them. It's not supposed to be what Jesus' followers are like. So many are raging on social media today in the name of Jesus. Are you kidding me? We as believers must stand firm in our gentleness even during the difficult times. And you may go, I just don't get that. Well, let me give you an example from nature that God created. It's like the difference between palm and oak trees. The palm is a softer tree and the oak is a more rigid tree, yet which is stronger against hurricane force winds? Well, it's the palm tree by far. In fact, there are some palm trees, the sable especially, that can withstand winds up to 145 miles per hour. Palm trees are able to bend 40 to 50 degrees without snapping, whereas in comparison, the mass of trunks of oak trees are able to support all the significant weight of their branches, but they're very limited in flexibility. They're rigid. So in crazy wind, they can break. But when the strongest of winds from the most brutal of storms are beating down, the palm, the softer, the gentler tree, bends in the storm and doesn't snap. It's the palm tree that will, after the winds and rains have passed, be able to stand back up and continue to exist. Which are you most like? I think by nature most of us are like the oak tree. But remember, Jesus was gentle on the cross. On the cross, talk about the hurricane, betrayal, and being beaten and tortured and nailed to a cross. And man, if it was our nature responding, we'd be, we'd be just filled with rage and expressing it. But rather than losing control and sending light bolts down to kill all those people as he could have done, he said, Father, forgive them. That's an example of gentleness. If we're going to stand firm in the Lord, that's where we need to be. In fact, gentleness is supposed to be one of the pursuits that we as people of God have. Look at 1 Timothy 6.11. Paul says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. We're supposed to be pursuing it because if we're going to stand firm, we need it.
gentleness. If we're going to experience God's best, then we have to stand firm, and we have to stand firm, Paul's telling us, by preserving our spiritual awareness. It's so easy, beautiful days like this, to say, ah, I'm going to pursue other things, but spiritual awareness is essential, or we're going to cave. We're going to fall. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. The Lord is near, he says. Wow, he was in prison. I bet you God felt a universe away. He had been tortured and stoned and beaten and betrayed. I bet you God felt a universe away, but he always knew the Lord was near, which is why he could stand firm, even in prison. If we're going to stand firm, we need constant awareness of his presence. Jesus promised Storm or no storm, he'd be there. Listen to Matthew 28, verse 20, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And you know, part of the nearness of Jesus is the reality that in spite of what we're experiencing in this world right now, he's preparing a place for us, and there's a day he's going to come and receive us to himself. In the end, Jesus wins, and those of us standing firm on him win as well. And that changes our perspective. Uh, we need an awareness of the nearness even of his coming, that he could come any time. Look at 1 John chapter 3. Look at how John says it in verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made totally known, but we know that when Christ appears, we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All we who have this hope in him, who understand his coming is real and he's near, purify themselves just as he is pure. We need to stay spiritually aware, spiritually attuned, never forget that God's there, or we're going to cave. The minute we no longer focus on Jesus, we cave every time. Can I ask you, are you caving during the storm, or are you standing firm? If we're going to experience God's best, then it takes standing firm, and if we're going to stand firm, it only happens by preserving our inner peace, that inner peace. And too many of us are surrendering any personal inner peace to the storms raging around us right now. I mean, the turbulence is crazy in our world, but it's not supposed to be crazy in us, not those of us who know Jesus. Paul had turbulence around him, but he didn't let it define who he was. Look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Whatever's happening in every situation by prayer and petition, recognizing his nearness and that he hears you and you can call on him and do it with thanksgiving. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need to preserve the inner peace, or, or life's not even worth living. And this is an essential character of those who are seeking God and who are living in Christ. Yeah, you can say you're in Christ all you want, but inner peace is one of the characteristics of it. Do you have it? Look at how Jesus said it in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Of course, if we're going to preserve that inner peace, we need to have a spirit of prayer where we're always connecting to God and his promises, always seeing him. And, and if we're going to have a sense of inner peace, no matter what's going on, we need to have a spirit of gratitude. He said we need to pray with thanksgiving, not because we got what we wanted, but because we're connecting with God and we're grateful for it. And what I'm seeing in the world today, a bunch of people who are expressing rage over everything, but 
have lost any sense of gratitude, but that shouldn't be how we as Jesus followers are. If we're going to experience God's best, then Paul's saying, as he's experiencing much of the world's worst, we need to stand firm by preserving our integrity. We really do. And so many people, and social media is such an obvious outcome of it, are just losing their integrity in every way. Sad, because Jesus is getting black eyes everywhere. But if we're going to stand firm, it's by preserving our integrity, integrity in how we think. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I'm curious if you would put that verse next to your Instagram or that verse next to your Facebook post or that verse next to your Twitter your tweets, if you'd go, yep, standing firm. If we're going to stand firm, we can't get trapped into thinking about all the things we're seeing and hearing in this world and experiencing. We, we need to keep integrity with God and how we think if we're going to stand firm. I mean, look around this world and you'll see a ton of darkness and justice. It's true, you can just get filled with rage. But remember, as Jesus followers, in the end, we're not citizens of this world. We're foreigners in this world. We're strangers in this world. As Jesus followers, we're citizens of, of God's kingdom. And can I tell you something? Our king is always just. And when we think on that, we can stand firm. And we need to have integrity, not just in what we think, Paul says, but in what we do. Look at Philippians 4, 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, you know, all those true and noble and good things, or seen in me, put into practice in your life, and the God of peace will be with you. You'll stand firm. Here's how I want to bring this into a landing, and we're going to experience a bunch of things yet in this service, but, but here's where I want you to focus. We're going to face storms that come against us with hurricane-like force. I mean hurricane-like force, and God has called us to stand firm in it. Standing firm means that no matter how difficult the situation or how dark our circumstances, we need to continue preserving our unity and preserving our joy and preserving our gentleness and preserving our spiritual awareness that Jesus really is near and preserving our inner peace, not letting the conflict around us start in us. And we need to be preserving our integrity. And can I just say it? It's impossible on our own. I mean, absolutely impossible. We can't do it. No matter how hard I try, I can, but our passage tells us how we can do it in the Lord. It doesn't say stand firm in your own power. It says stand firm in the Lord. So can I, can I just say it? If you're not walking in unity, you're not walking in the Lord. You're walking in your own strength. If you're not walking in joy, you're not walking in the Lord. The same with gentleness and spiritual awareness and peace and integrity. You might be trying hard, but you're not doing it in the Lord. Can I ask you, are you in the Lord, in him? If you're already a Jesus follower, I encourage you to look at your life in contrast with what it should be in the Lord, whether you're standing firm or collapsing and caving. But if you're here and you've never opened your life to Jesus, if you've never by faith stepped into a relationship with the Lord, this is your moment. I'm going to pray a prayer and 
Okay, my prayer can't do anything for you, but if you take the words of my prayer and make them your own expression of trust to God, he can change your life. So whether you want to do it out loud or in your heart, would you just say, Jesus, I, I need to be in you. On my own, I'm just filled with guilt and shame and emptiness. I'm filled with anger, rage, and darkness. But you died on that cross so I could be forgiven of my guilt. And you rose again so I could be filled with newness of life. And by faith, I'm opening my life and asking you to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, I want to encourage you. There's a text number right there on your screen. And would you text us and let us know you prayed with us? We want to give you a New Testament Bible and some ideas about next steps you can take in your relationship with God. We just need to hear from you. Please let us hear from you. But once we are in the Lord, and once we have learned how to stand firm, if we're going to fulfill God's will and honor and please him and experience God's best in our lives, then we have to, we have to, Make the commitment. We have to commit to standing firm in the Lord, no matter what. And I want to give you a modern-day example because I, uh, Paul's truth is relevant to us. Jesus' truth is relevant to us. But let's look at it in modern skin today. Pastor Wang Yi, he was the pastor of Early Reign Covenant Church in mainland communist China. He had some 700 members and. With those members, he was one of the largest house churches in mainland China. And house churches or underground churches are the lifeblood of Christianity in, in China because of the hostility of the communist regime against Christianity. They are, they're literally, you might not know this, you need to, they're trying to eradicate Christianity in their country and in the world. Even, on, uh, even yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, there was an article about how during the coronavirus and everybody's attention on that, they've been upping their hostility and attacks and destruction of Christian churches in their country. The Wall Street Journal. Well, Pastor Wang Yi was one of China's best-known pastors in the West, and yet he still constantly faced and faces persecution and storms and and what he is he's a modern day example of he learning how to stand firm and making the commitment to do it no matter what and and so as a pastor like Paul he wanted to teach his people and on May 27th 2018 he preached a message called the gospel and church state relations and he tells how he stands firm and his commitment to do it. Boy, we can benefit from this. Watch. <笑>我就是先把自己植于在属灵上的一种安全的状态
我先把话说满，先把话说到退无可退的地步，除非你打人，除非你抓我，否则接下来你没得谈了。你明白这意思吗？如果我在里面慢慢的跟他谈，慢慢的聊，我就会受他影响，我就会觉得我在灵属灵上是危险的。我就会被他绕进去，我的我的灵里面的这个这个气就会就会消解，然后他的很多的东西就会对我有影响，我我不敢承受这种属灵上的危险状态，所以我一开始就很清楚的把那一个冲突直接的推到最高最高点，就是再也没什么好谈的了，这个是我的经验。他根本无法再问我话了，除非他打我，除非他把我抓起来。所以我跟他来讲就很清楚，我今天进来就不想出去了。你们除非判我的刑，除非逮捕我，啊，否则一切都没得谈。我不反对共产党，我并不反对你们统治这个国家，但是共产主义是邪恶的，这就是我的信仰。你们看着办。这个话一说出来，没有任何的退路，我就发现。这个提高了你在肉身上的危险程度，对不对？但是凡事大有好处，这个增加了你在属灵上的安全度。嗯，所以我每次都是这么干的，我就知道在灵里面我现在很安全。耶稣也是这么干的，耶稣很多的时候都是一句话。就把整个以色列社会、把整个工会、把整个法利赛人逼到必须杀他的地步，要么信他，要么杀他。像努 C.S. 路易斯所讲的，要么跪下来承认他是你的主，要么把他干掉，因为没有中间的安全地带。所以让我这样鼓励弟兄姐妹。当面对逼迫的时候，当你因着信仰的缘故面对压力的时候，不要给自己留太宽的中间安全地带，不要给自己留太长的啊中间的安全地带，早一点达到那个最强烈的冲突点，然后就像李斯铁一样说：“死就死吧。”Isn't his story both inspiring and unbelievably convicting? I mean, seriously. 
Talk about learning how to stand firm in the hurricane force storms of life and making a commitment to it. He, he won't even let himself get into it without making the declaration that cuts him off from being tempted to soften his stand at all. And he really, in that talk, reminds me of what Paul was saying in Philippians 4.1 when he said, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And that's what Pastor Wang Yi was doing. He was living that life and then to those he loved and cared about, sharing it and rewriting them for them. And, and you and I get to be impacted by them as well. I don't know about you, but I just think we need to pray for them. And so just before I continue when we move into worship, would you join me? Father in heaven, I thank you for Pastor Wang Yi. I thank you for his life, for his commitment. Thank you for how with Paul he's standing firm in the Lord and giving us an example of what it looks like and how to do it. And I pray that we'd be challenged by it. But right now, I just pray that you would pour out your grace and your compassion and your presence to Pastor Wang Yi and his family and to his church family and to those who have suffered so much. I pray that you'd bring healing, that you'd deliver them, that you'd start opening more and more doors for the church in China. But, but I want to thank you for their example that even when everything is dark in the world and unjust in the world, we don't have to live lives of rage, lives of brokenness, lives that cave. We can stand firm in the Lord. Help us to learn from them and follow them. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you with a little side note. Next weekend, as we continue in this series from the book of Philippians, we're going to take a deeper dive into prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where Paul tells us through prayer with thanksgiving, we can experience peace that passes understanding. And I think it's just vital that we take a deeper dive into that principle. But I want you to know that we don't just talk about prayer. We really want to pray. And we know a lot of you are carrying a ton of needs, and rather than us just covering them generally, we would love to if you allow us to pray specifically for needs you're really, really facing. I was just talking to someone in Northridge today, and their grandchild just born a couple days ago is in um, intensive care because of breathing challenges and that kind of thing. Can you imagine at the same time this person just found out they have prostate cancer and the hurricane force winds are blowing and I've told them I'm, I will pray for them and we want to do the same thing for you. We're supposed to carry each other's burdens and prayer is one of the ways we've done it. So here's what we've done. We've created a place where you can share and you can just go to the link. It's on your screen right now and I encourage you to do that. Let us pray with you and for you and, and just know we love you. Now, just before we worship, I, I want to encourage you with the truth of this weekend's conversation. So can I just speak it into your life right now? I want to encourage you in this hurricane force storm that we now stand in to stand firm. I, I want to encourage you to remember that though the world is out of control, God is still 
in control. I want you to remember that the best of life isn't experienced because we have the best of experiences and circumstances and situations. The best of life is experienced because we have God in our lives. 